Hey, this is Michael. Thanks so much for listening to Soma's podcast. Before this week's teaching, I just want to take a second and thank you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing and subscribing. It makes a huge impact. Enjoy the message. Well, good to see you all again. Um, hope you're feeling great. This has been so good for me. You know, sometimes you show up to something thinking that you're there to do a thing, and then you end up getting something. Um, this has been so great. So, um, Kaylin, thank you for that today. Let me just give you real time what's happening in my life. So, um, we have five kids. Uh, our oldest, Lucy's 13. And we were at the beach last week, and she had her younger sister, Sally, who is nine, had mentioned that she was like, I want to do a Bible study this school year after school with some of my friends. And Lucy was like, I would love to help you do that. I'd be happy to lead that. And Sally was like, that would be really cool. And then they didn't talk about it. And so I text Lucy and my wife. I say this morning, I said, hey, um, Lucy, I don't know how serious you were about that group, but I think you should totally do that if Sally would be up for it. This is her response. Is this not a 13-year-old? She goes, I would love to, but why are we talking about this right now? (laughs) I was like, (laughs) I said, because I'm at this church and they're talking about groups right now. And I was thinking about it. Good grief. (laughs) Anyway, so that's what's happening in my life. I'm over here working on groups myself. That was so good. Thank you, Eric. That was so good. Thank you. Um, I'm so excited about what God's doing here. And it's just incredible how God works that he's working in so many different ways. And I love this free market approach that we're not going to try to put limits on what God wants to do. I love that line, what you just said, Eric, that we're going to, we're going to emphasize the immeasurable, but we're going to measure the measurable. We're going to emphasize the things that we know really matter. You can't measure life change. You can't measure spiritual growth, but you can measure how many people in groups and how many people started groups. And you can try to instruct people and train people and help people. Um, Yesterday I left off and we were talking about positivity Um, Let me just say one more thing about positivity before we move on to the next two. I I love this. um, when When I think about positivity, I think, all right, it's easy to be positive when everything's great. And I'll just tell you right now, I sense so much, so many great vibes here at Soma Church because there's so much good happening. There's so much that God's doing. I know there's a lot of hard stuff in people's lives, but there's, there's growth. There's people showing up. There's all kinds of new things that are happening. The, the hardest part of positivity is choosing to be positive even when life is hard, right? Even when life is difficult, even when it feels like there's headwind. But we are the church of God. We should be the most positive, optimistic, forward-thinking, can-do, anything-is-possible, hope-filled people on the planet because the grave is empty, because the tomb is empty, because we have a resurrected Savior. The Apostle Paul is such a good picture of this because he was... Um, he's one of those people that, you know, the whole, the the icebreaker question, you know, who would you want to have lunch with or what person that's passed away or what dead person would you want to meet with? I mean, I cannot wait to meet the apostle Paul and just find out more about him and understand him. And, but when you read Philippians, the whole letter of Philippians actually, but I I want to read just a couple verses out of Philippians one real quickly. In Philippians one, you sense this immense positivity from him. 
where he is just propelling, he's speaking life into, he's just trying to do everything he can do to ESPN to encourage people and to scripture people. He was actually writing it in the moment, right? And to pray for people and to give people their next steps. He was doing that over and over and over again. Does anybody know where the apostle Paul was when he wrote the letter to the church at Philippi? Okay, look around. Those are your Bible trivia people, all right? When you, Friday night, and things are getting wild, and it's getting lit, and you want to play Bible trivia, these are the people that you want to play with, the people just answered that, all right? And there was a resounding answer. Wow, such a biblically astute group. He was in prison. He wrote this letter in prison. I don't know what you know about first century Roman culture. They weren't known for their luxurious prisons. There was no prison ministry. This was the worst of the worst. They were in dungeons. There was not good lighting. There was not good air filtration systems. I mean, it was a horrible place to be in. He was probably chained to a Roman guard, and he wrote this letter. you got to get that in your mind. And here's what he says in Philippians chapter 1. He says so much. I thank my God every time I remember you, Philippians Chapter 1, verse 3, and all my prayers for you, I pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, that being a good, being confident of this, that he who began a good work will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. Listen, that's hope. That's positive. That's speaking into existence what he really believes. And then as you scroll on down to verse 12, he said, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Don't get this confused. My circumstances look bleak, but it doesn't mean God's not at work. My circumstances are not great. They are not what I would choose them to be, but it doesn't mean that God is not actively changing people's lives. He is using my circumstances to change someone's life for the better. As a result, it's become, listen, this is amazing. As a result... It has become clear throughout the whole palace guard. Everybody's talking about this. It has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters, I love that he said most. He's like, it ain't all of them because there's still a couple of them that are just living in the dumps. Well, they're in prison, right? I mean, they have an excuse, Paul. But Paul's like, yeah, but most of them, most of the brothers and the sisters who were also locked up, even the ones that are not locked up, the ones that are not in the prison, the ones that are in the palace guard, the ones that are just living and hiding, the ones that are living their regular lives, most of them, look at what he says, most of them have become more confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. He's saying, I'm telling you, God is using what's happening right now for good so that people might meet him, so that people might follow him, so that people might come alive by the name of Jesus, through the power of Jesus, because of the resurrection of Jesus. I'm telling you, this idea of choosing positivity in the face of difficulty, in the face of, the face of hardship, the face of challenge, it is the essence of what God's church is all about. And I hope that no matter what happens over the next several months, no matter what happens over the next several years, no matter what happens in the next couple of days in your own life, that you can say, you know what, God, I want to choose 
to be a hope-filled force for good. I want to choose to be a can-do, anything-is-possible, forward-thinking, optimistic person of positivity because the grave, the grave is empty. Now, some of you, uh, that's just your personality. That's your temperament. You just do it naturally. How many of you would just say, yeah, I'm a relatively positive person? Awesome. Let me just tell you, positivity is not a personality trait. It's a character quality. I'm telling you, there are some people that just have it. They're just they're just more positive people. They just let things roll easier. Uh, it's amazing how God works. Um, we were laughing about this yesterday, Brooke, about how sometimes God matches up people that are real extroverted with people that are introverted, you know? It's amazing how God also matches up people that like to spend money with people that like to save money. And it's amazing how God matches up positive people with... Now, see, don't say it. Don't even say it. You started to, and then you're like, I better not say that. See, this is the way my life has worked out. I am, in general, I'm a relatively positive person. It does come somewhat. It is, it is part of my personality, but I have learned through life, the older I've gotten, the harder life has gotten, the more stuff that has happened to me, around me, I have realized, oh, it really is a character quality, but there is something about my personality. I do tend to be more positive. I think we could all guess, Kaylin, what her personality is like with the way you said about her headshots, that she does tend to be more positive. I'm married to someone, though, who if ever I, would to, if ever I were to say, don't be so negative, she would say, I'm not being negative, I'm being... Thank you, people. She would say, I'm being realistic. Let me tell you, here's the way this goes down in our family. I mentioned how much we love Chick-fil-A. I love that we had it this morning. We are so on theme. God's spirit is working in so many different ways while we're here at Selma Church. Am I right or am I right? On, on road trips, this is, um, I, I, I love Chick-fil-A. I could eat it every day. I could eat it, I mean, we eat it four or five times a week. I mean, we are raving fans. Um, and anytime we're on a road trip, I'll throw it out in the car. I'll be like, hey, it's about lunchtime. Y'all want to pick something up? And everybody would be like, please, I'm starving. I'm so hungry. Not like hungry like you talked about in that recent sermon. Hungry is like, I'll eat anything, you know? Hungry is not, I don't want Taco Bell, I'll take Chick-fil-A. Which is what ends up happening. We end up always choosing Chick-fil-A. And so every now and then, I'm driving, and every now and then I go, let's pull into the crack. Cracker barrel. Let's sit down and have a meal together. Let's just take a break. Let's take a 35-minute, 45-minute breather, and let's go just sit and have a nice, just some, uh, some chicken and dumplings, you know? Can I get an amen to Cracker Barrel's chicken and dumplings? And my wife, my lovely, beautiful, amazing, I'm so crazy in love with her wife, she will say, if you want to go and stop at Cracker Barrel and take these five kids into Cracker Barrel, you are more than welcome to do that. I'm going to sit in the car. And I'll go, why you got to be so negative? And she'll say, I'm not being negative. I'm being, I'm just being realistic because she'll say, here's what's going to happen. You're going to order some food. 
before the food even gets there, you're going to have a child under the table, a child up on the table. That little golf tee game, there's going to be a tee in ears, a tee in eyes, tees flying all over the place. There are going to be kids standing on the table. The food's going to come. They're not going to eat the food. You're going to get mad because you're paying for the food and you don't understand why they don't eat the food. You're going to walk back through that store trying to pay and somebody is going to break something. And if it's you, you're going to give yourself some grace. But if it's one of those chicken nuggets that we're trying to raise, you're going to get mad at one of them and you're going to be punishing somebody in the car, bringing your wrath up in the car and it is not going to go well. And she's like, I just want to let, I want to let you know, I am not here for that. All right. So if you want to take them, go for it. I'm telling you, um, there, there is a point in time in life where you go, okay, the answer to being a great leader, the answer to being a great leader, whether you have authority or not, is not to just walk around with your head in the clouds or your head buried in the sand going, everything is awesome all the time. Any, anybody know that Lego movie? Uh, our, we still got younger kids, so we watch so many animated movies. Do you remember the song? Yeah, you got it. She's doing it. Well, yeah, everything is awesome. A part of a team. Everything is awesome. One of my favorite scenes in that movie is when they fat, they go fast forward eight hours. It's at the end of the work day, and everybody's still walking around. Everything is awesome. They're still singing the song. The idea of the movie is like this planned community. They're brainwashing them. They're, it's, it's a little bit like Truman Show with Legos, basically. And, and, and the, the idea of great leadership is not to walk around just going, everything's awesome all the time, right? I mean, you know people like this. Some of you are married to someone like this, that everything's just, oh, it'll work out great. I mean, it's going to be wonderful. 70% chance of rain. Well, 30% chance that it's not. Let's go have a great picnic, you know? I mean, some of you know what it's like to be around someone. I remember reading this, uh, this is probably 10 years ago when so many articles were being written about millennials. And this, I, I remember somebody forwarded me this article that said, the millennial generation, are they a group of misguided optimists or rainbow puking unicorns? <laughs> I have never forgotten that phrase because when I read it, I thought I know exactly what that is like. Because I work with people, especially in the church world, right, where on Mondays usually is the day where we would do all of our reviews from yesterday. And, of course, we would spend time thanking God, praising God, celebrating all that God did the day before. And there's some people that, I mean, they're just like best ever. I mean, the sermon was the best ever. The announcements were the best ever. The music, oh my goodness, the only problem is we didn't play Oceans twice. I mean, it was so good. Everything about it was just amazing. It was incredible. And I'm over here waiting to get to my list of the eight things that need to change, that if they don't change, we're going out of business. We're going to have to shut this whole thing down. Like we got to fix stuff. We got to move. We got to get stuff going. We got to change things. And we got these rainbow puking unicorns going. It was the best ever. So incredible. So great. So wonderful. Couldn't have been better. The only thing that's going to come close to even being better is next Sunday when that's going to actually be the best ever. And I, I, that idea of being a rainbow puking unicorn, I'm like, I, I get that. I understand that. And those of you that are wired analytically, those of you that are, you, you, you solve problems, you see issues, your brain is fine tuned to see what could happen and figure out how to fix it. To see the problem. You're, you're the person that you, you walk into a restaurant. Does this ever happen to you? Where you walk into a restaurant and you're already thinking, when am I going to ask to speak to the manager? Because you got ideas on things that need to change. And then your significant other, your boo, bae, is like, no one asked you. And you're like, yeah, but, I, but I'm telling you, I need to let them know that if they want 
to, to grow this thing, it's going to need to change. And it's like, well, you're not on that show on the Food Network on fixing restaurants. You know, no, no, I know, but I got ideas. Anybody married to somebody like this, though, for real? This girl's raising her hand, and this guy's not. I love it. He's like, no, she's right. Listen, I was at, uh, y'all know, y'all, y'all, got, y'all got a Jim and Nick's up in here? Um, I, is there a Jim and Nick's in Charlotte? Maybe, I don't know. I, I, Jim and Nick's, I think it's out of Birmingham, I believe. Is, it, is Jim and Nick's Birmingham? I love Jim and Nick's, big fan. But I was about a couple of years ago, we're at Jim and Nick's in Atlanta, and I ordered on their appetizer thing. I, I love nachos, chos. That's my favorite, favorite thing to eat. And they had nachos on their menu. And I was like, so cool, love it. I ordered them. I asked to speak to the manager. My wife is like, what are you doing? I was like, I want to tell them that they're welcome to put this on the menu, but they need to change the name because these are not nachos. So I'm not going to tell them that they can't serve these. She's looking at me like, you are you have officially lost your mind. The manager comes over. She's under the table, right? You know, she's trying to figure out her escape route out to the car. And I'm like, I'm telling the manager legitimately, hey, this is fine. And you can put it on the menu. You just need to find a different name. And the manager's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, well, you called them nachos. He's like, huh? I'm like, well, these are not nachos. So you're going to have to figure out something different. I'm telling you, I know what it feels like to be wired that way. Some of you are wired this way. And you're going, things need to change. That skill is why you are a leader. That gifting, that grace is why you are a leader. You are a leader because you have ideas. You have things that need to change. You have things that you want to grow. You have things that need to move. You have problems that you want to solve. Part of being a great leader is learning how to lead yourself well. Part of being a great leader is learning how to choose positivity and carry yourself in a posture of positivity. But being a great leader is also about learning to think Critically, learning to think critically. Critical thinking is a skill. It's a skill that if you want to be someone who's leading when you're not in charge, you've got to learn to master. I, I know for me, any organization that I'm a part of, I know that we want, we want leaders at every level thinking about how we can make it better. Underline if you would, make it better. Make it better. You need to be thinking about how to make your group better, how to make Soma Church better, how to make your life better, how to encourage the people around you, how to make them better. Part of next steps is what do we need to do to make it better, to make your life better, to make my life better. Now, I trust my prayers way more than I trust my advice, but I'm telling you, you've got a friend like this who you're like, man, whenever I have a problem, that friend I know I need to call because this friend is able to assess the situation to back up and go, let me look at this objectively and to think, what do we need to change? What do we need to fix? Critical thinking, if you want to write this down, there's about three things. Critical thinking is about noticing things, noticing things, questioning things, and then connecting things. Critical thinkers, they notice things. They notice, interesting that the lights are the, the level they're at. It's interesting the, the music that was playing. It's interesting the, the way the tables are formatted. It's interesting the way that everything's set up. Some of you have done this for this event. You've noticed things. And then questioning things. It's about, you know, you're the person that, you know, when you were a kid, you loved taking the, 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 the Walkman apart, you know, or you love like breaking the thing down. You liked erector sets. I mean, you like to build things. You like to take them apart. You like to see what would happen if you put it, uh, flip, flipped it around. And, and, and turn it inside out. I mean, you're the one that's questioning things. What would happen if we move this around? What would happen if we did it in a different order? What would happen if we change things? And then they, they connect things. They make connections between what they notice, the answers to the question they ask, and the outcome they're looking for. This is what critical thinking is. Critical thinking is about being an owner. It's thinking like an owner. Now, you can't be an owner. 
because you're not, but you can think like an owner. And in the church, this is always wild to me, but it's always fun to talk about this concept to church people because in a sense, you are an owner of this church, right? Why are you an owner of this church? Because you are a son, you are a daughter of the king. In Corinthians, Paul says that we are going to get to ride shotgun in the victory parade that Jesus allows us. He allows us to ride with him in the celebratory parade of his victory over death. He lets us share in it that we are sons and daughters of the king. We are owners, in a sense, of the church. Now, I'm not saying this is my church. I'm just saying when your parent owns the restaurant, you got a key to the back door. When your dad owns the business, when your mom owns the business, you can always walk in there and find them, right? And the same is true here that you, you ought to think like an owner because you are a son of the king. You're a daughter of the king. And thinking critically is about switching from, I'm going to walk past the trash to, I'm going to stop and pick up the trash. I'm not going to call somebody to come get the trash. I'm going to pick the trash up myself because I'm an owner. I'm thinking like an owner. I'm feeling the weight of an owner. We need people in every organization. We need people in every church who don't just share opinions, but who share the responsibility of the results. Those of you who are owners of companies, you know what I'm talking about. Because you know what it's like for everybody to share an opinion, but then as soon as the quarterly reports are passed around, everybody's like, well, you should have done it differently. I mean, I don't know. You should have handled that differently. If you would have, it would have been different. No, you need people feeling, oh, this is not your results. This is our results. We're all in this. And critical thinkers are able to make that switch. Critical thinkers have this ability to be present in every environment, to be present in every relationship. They have a high, I like the term, they have a high with it factor. They're with it. They're thinking about things. They're processing things. They're thinking about how to make things better. Now, the, the biggest enemy for critical thinking, I think the biggest enemy for critical thinking, is our busyness and our technology. Our busyness and our technology. My, my problem with my work life is that I go from meeting to meeting to meeting to meeting to meeting without ever stopping to carve out time to think critically. I know that any time that I have, any free time I have, it's like this phone in my hand have this magnetic thing that happens where the phone is just attracted to the hand and it just ends up in my hand. I'm telling you, busyness and technology are two things we got to pay attention to if we're going to learn how to hone the skill of critical thinking. Let me, let me uh, do it in another way. Uh, what, what is your, uh, when do you get your best ideas? Where are you when you get your best ideas? Shout it out. Driving. Driving. Who said it? Shower. Shower. All right. So the, hold, hold what else you said, but this is for real. I, so I had been asking this question for a couple of years and then I saw it on family feud. I was so excited. Steve Harvey is doing this. He said, we pulled a hundred people and we asked them, where do you get your best ideas? Shower was on the list. Uh, excuse me. Driving was on the list. Shower was number one. It's the number one answer for where people get their best ideas. Where else do you get your best ideas? Did someone say the urinal? Is that what you said? Yeah, that's right. That's a good one. He, he, then he goes, yeah, I got you. 
the outdoors, yeah, going on a walk, right? I mean, for me, it's landscaping. You know, it's uh, it's it's cutting grass. I mean, I, I when I was in high school, I had a, a grass, a lawn care business called Lovers Lawn Care. We cut what you hate. And I developed a passion for cut grass. And I still have it. I mean, I still, to this day, love just pushing a lawnmower back and forth in a yard. And my brain... My brain just goes bananas. I mean, I start thinking about life. I get real introspective. I start thinking about things that need to change, things I need to do differently. Uh, Shower, driving, uh, working out, exercise, being outside, sitting on the pot, whatever it is that you're doing. In most of those environments, you do not have your phone with you. If you're driving with your phone, you probably ought to stop. If you're showering with your phone, you probably need to talk to a professional counselor, right? that that is a real problem. I'm telling you, those are places where we don't have our technology with us and our brain is able to think clearly about how to make things better. What if you carved out time? And this is part of what prayer does. Prayer is a practice where we carve out technology-free space to be able to talk to God about life, to be able to talk to him about life, to be able to listen what he says about our life. And what if you decided to, you know what, I'm not going to wait until I have those moments. I'm going to carve it out. I'm going I'm to make it a part of my life. Now, whether that means you wake up earlier, you have a quiet time, you open up God's word, you have some kind of discipline where you are opening up God's word with a blank journal, writing down, God, what do you want to teach me today? That is how we grow in our skill of thinking critically. Now, the, the, the problem, it's not really a problem, but the danger, I should say, of critical thinking is the line between thinking critically and being critical is razor thin, right? I mean, the line between, I've got ideas on what needs to change, I've got ideas on how we can do things better, and I'm over here just being critical and cynical and running everything down. That line is razor thin. So what's the difference? What's the difference between someone who is skilled in thinking critically, they're practicing the skill of thinking critically, and the person that's just being critical, what's the difference? What's the difference inside of us? Right here, what, were you, did you have your hand up? Was that, no, all right, that was just your pen, right? Sorry, yeah. What is it? Coming up with positive stuff. It's coming up with solutions and not, right? It's so easy to tear things down. It is hard to put things back together, right? It's so much harder to put things back together. What, what did you say, sir? It's your intent, it's your motive, right? I believe that love is the greatest motive for thinking critically, that when you love someone, you wish goodwill upon them. People that have given you great advice, you've taken it, the times you've taken it, it's because you trust the person. You believe the person has your best interests in mind. You believe the person actually loves you. And I'm telling you, this is why we pray for the people in our group. Because the people in our group will trust us when God moves our heart to actually care for them, to love them. Trust is built through care, through love, through believing in someone. And that's, I think it is, I think it's the essence, I think it's the difference between thinking critically and being critical. Jesus gives us this great image of this right at the end of his life on earth. He's down on his knee. He unwraps his outer garment. He gets a basin of water. And what does he do to his, the feet of his disciples? He judges them. He looks at their feet. He's like, Peter, what is going on here, bro? Like, let's get some new Birkenstocks. Like, these feet are disgusting. I mean, nasty. Like, have you not taken these toes to see anybody recently? Like, like, these things are sick. Is that what he does? No, he washes their feet. He says to them, how can I help you? How can I help you? I'm here to serve you. A lot of times we want to walk around with a clipboard judging, right? 
But he says, no, 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 I'm here to help you. I'm here to help you do the thing that you can't do on your own. That is the essence of staying away from being critical and learning how to think critically. And then number four is rejecting passivity. I'll move through this one real quick because we got three minutes. Rejecting passivity. The, the thing that, gets, that bakes inside of us when we're not in charge is we get passive, right? We get passive because we're not in control. There is something powerful about being able to make the decision, but when we can't make the decision, when decisions are always handed to us, we get real passive, and passivity bakes into us like mac and cheese, right? Like the cheese inside of the macaroni. You can't get it out. It gets inside of us. It's why this is so beautiful that you all are saying, hey, we are going to go recruit some people, find some people, and we're going to go lead a group doing, taking purpose to the things we're interested in. That takes activity. That takes initiative. That takes action. It's so much easier to go, oh, well, I'm not in charge, and so I don't really know, and they've made it kind of challenging and difficult, and it's just too hard to do it. It's so easy to get real passive. Passivity is something we got to pay attention to, particularly when we're not in charge, because it's just easy to sit on our hands. It's easy to get an attitude that would say, well, if they would have, if they would have wanted my opinion, they would have asked me. They didn't, right? It's not waiting to be told. It's not waiting for somebody to ask you. It's stepping up and saying, hey, is anybody going to solve this problem? No? Well, then I'm going to go for it because this ought to be solved. I'm going to take initiative. I'm not going to wait to be told. And I'm telling you, if you and I can do this, if we can learn how to lead ourselves well, if we can learn how to choose positivity, if we can learn how to think critically, and if we can be leaders that reject passivity, you can be a powerful force for good whether you have a title or not, whether you have any authority or not. And and here's the trick of the whole thing. You are in charge of something. Some of you run businesses, own businesses. You're in charge of stuff here. But you're probably going to be in charge of even more throughout your life. And if you can learn how to cultivate influence now when you're not in charge, you'll be such a better leader when you are in charge Because even the best leaders, the best leaders do not wave the gun of authority around. The best leaders do not wave the gun of authority saying, if you don't do this, I'm coming at you. No, that's not what the best leaders do. The best leaders, even when they're in charge, they lead through influence. I I remember when I was 21 years old, I was uh, interning at the state capitol in Atlanta. I needed needed an A because I was trying to keep this scholarship and engineering was wearing me out. And I found that if I did this internship, they gave you an automatic A, and I was like, I'm all over that. I love it. And so I got this internship at the state capitol in the governor's office, brand new governor in the state of Georgia, and I uh, was working in the policy department, and I had this little desk that sat outside of the conference room inside the, the, the policy department of the governor's office, and they were having this, I, and I, I, I would go in there to serve, you know, serve the coffee and to make the copies and do things like that, which is interesting. If you, if you will make a decision, I'm going to serve. This is for those of you that are you know, in your 20s. If you make a decision to serve others, it will, it will open up the door for you to get inside rooms that you don't even deserve to be inside yeah. of. And so I, that's what I just tried to do. I was like, all right, well, I'm just here to serve. And so I'd get in these meetings. And I remember this one particular meeting I was in where it was a, it was a meeting about transportation. And uh, they were arguing about, you know, the road system and how they were going to pay for it and what they should be doing and prioritizing it. And the governor was uh, in this meeting, and he was not getting his way, and he had just recently been elected. And he had all these people around him that he had chosen to be around him that all had helped him get elected. And I remember this one particular moment of the meeting. He starts 
banging the table. And then he yells over everyone, like Will Ferrell in that Dodge Stratus skit from Saturday Night Live years ago. He yells over all of them. He goes, I am the governor of the state of Georgia. Listen to me. I was 21. I had not read a leadership book. I had not been to a leadership conference. But I knew right there in that moment, uh uh-oh, something's broken. That's not the way it's supposed to work. First of all, they were all on your campaign team. They all helped you get elected. They were all there at the party when they announced you governor of Georgia. Okay, so they all know that. But what was he doing in that moment? He wasn't getting them to do what he wanted them to do. And so what was he waving around? He was waving around the gun of authority going, I am in charge. So do what, I'm, do what I tell you to do. I'm telling you, that doesn't work. Somewhere along the way, he missed an opportunity to learn how to cultivate influence. And then he got to be in charge, and he didn't have the influence to be able to leverage. I'm telling you, the season of life you're in right now is so important because God is teaching you something. He's growing something in you. And the things that he grows in us oftentimes are grown in places that we can't see. God is wanting you right now to grow your influence for something down the road that you cannot see. And if you would grow it now, down the road, when it happens, when it comes to you, you will be a leader that knows how to lead through influence, that knows how to influence other people with or without a title, with or without authority. And that is the power of learning how to lead when you're not in charge. And so I hope that whatever season you're in right now, I hope that you're getting to exercise your gifts. I hope you're getting to do the things you feel like God has put you on the earth to do. But at the very baseline level, I hope that you're learning how to cultivate, you're learning how to grow influence so that God might use you today and use you tomorrow to do even greater good for God's kingdom.